0: Hey, let's pray and let's get started. Lord, thank you for just the people you brought out this morning. Just here to enjoy fellowship, but to learn, to grow in you, but Lord, to really just apply it to our lives, and to live it, to go out there and really represent you and all that we say and do. We stop and say thank you for what you're doing, what you've done. Uh, we think of the upcoming baptism service here in a couple Sundays. We think of the upcoming uh, kids club training. All these things be for you just to help us to grow deeper in you, to go out there and be lights and witnesses in all we say and do in your name. Amen. Normally out here what we do is the verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study through the books of the Bible. We finished up Matthew a few weeks ago, but we're doing something a little unique here over these next couple weeks. As we stopped in those last few verses in Matthew, commonly known as the Great Commission. And that idea of go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing and teaching them. We talked about those four points. Going, making disciples, baptizing, and teaching. And we spent the first couple weeks of what does it mean to go? To go, to really stop and say, this is not my life, it's not my calendar, it's not my commitments, it's really the opportunity to go and represent Jesus whatever I do. Go does not necessarily mean in going to a third world country. Going may mean that when I go into work, I put on that missionary mindset. I'm going to go be that witness at school. I'm going to go be that witness to that neighbor. I'm going to go where God has planted me. Paul uses this interesting word that we have this sphere of influence that you're around people. And you get a chance to represent Jesus to them. We talked about making disciples. It doesn't mean just going to a discipleship class. It means really getting involved in their lives. That Greek word really means to live the life in front of them. To really represent Jesus in all you do and say. We talked about the teaching part. We talked about the baptizing. Like I said, we're having a baptism coming up April 2nd. If you feel led to get baptized, please let us know. We can talk about it. And then we got into Acts 2.42, about how the church... The church continued in doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, communion, and prayer. And we really used Acts as an example of what does it look like to go, make disciples, and to live the life. It's one thing to talk about on a Sunday morning, to mark verses, underline it. But how do we practically apply this to our lives and our daily routine to really represent Jesus? And I think this is where a lot of churches sometimes fail. We'll talk about it. We want to be lights. We want to be witnesses. We want to change the world. We come for an hour on a Sunday, and then we go home, and we just live life. But let's live life with a purpose. Let's live life for Jesus Christ. And Acts shows us how these people have done it. And we've been using examples from the book of Acts of what does it mean to be a church that prays? What does it mean to be a church that makes disciples? What does that mean? And the three questions I've been asking you to ask yourself, what does this look like for me as an individual... What does this look like for my family, and what does it look like for us as a church? To really apply this and to put this into perspective. So, that's what we've done the last few weeks, and what we're going to be doing here this morning is same concept, taking examples from the book of Acts, but now talking about these different gifts of the Spirit that the Lord has given us. Because you can't do this on your own. You have to be gifted by the Holy Spirit to do it. Now, the gifts of the Spirit, I think, is something very important to stop and realize. Think back to your Old Testament history here, Tabernacle Temple. You had this place called the Holy of Holies. One day a year, one man, high priest, could go in there on the Day of Atonement, and he made a sacrifice for the nation of Israel. So one day, one man had a chance to have a fellowship, if you will, with God. God, if you would, lived in that Holy of Holies. Well, when Jesus came and died on the cross, he tore the veil to the Holy of Holies. We studied that in Matthew. And we now have access to God anytime we want. The Holy Spirit now lives inside of us. If you're here this morning and you're saved, you're born again, think about this. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Paul said that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's fascinating. That's amazing. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. How is that possible? Because God is with us in the form of the Holy Spirit wherever we go, whatever we do. That's such an encouragement and blessing. It's also kind of convicting. He knows everything you say. He knows everything you let your eyes look at. He knows every thought you have that doesn't make it to your mouth. He knows. But this mindset of I'm a walking temple of the Holy Spirit representing Jesus. So often I see churches having this focus. Let's focus on Sunday mornings. For one hour on a Sunday morning, we're going to do everything we can. We're going to entertain you. We're going to bless you. We're going to make you love us. Then hopefully you come back next Sunday and we do it again. And we judge everything off this one hour. No, 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 no. The reason we're here this morning is because we want a desire to grow and go deeper in Jesus Christ. And I want to give you the tools to do that. And as you hopefully learn of these gifts this morning and you apply them to your life, your real ministry is not right now. Yes, there's times to minister to the people beside you at church. Please do that. But when you go to school, home, or work, that's when you're stopping and saying, this is where, Lord, I want to be used. I love Sunday mornings. I love the time of teaching. I love this. But the real fruit comes from the hospital visits, the discipleship classes, the interactions I have throughout the week with people. This is a blessing. But we only get a chance to get together for an hour a week. I want to give you the tools to do it on a regular basis. One of the things I do when I'm doing discipleship with the boys, every now and then I'll try to do something practical with them. A couple of weeks ago I went and I got all the tools out. And we got the pliers out, the screwdrivers, crescent wrench, etc., and I laid them out on the table. And I said, boys, I'm going to tell you what each one of these tools are. So we went through what pliers do, what crescent wrench does, etc. So I said, that way, when I'm working down in the basement, and I'm old and lazy, and I don't want to go upstairs, and I say, can you bring me the crescent wrench? You know what to go grab. You know the tool that is needed to bring it back down. Because before I did this, God bless them. Hey, guys, I need a screwdriver, a flat screwdriver that come down with pliers, And you know what, you can't, it's like, thank you for being willing, but let's learn the tools. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to go through the different gifts of the Spirit. And what I want you to do is this. I want you to take notes, mark, underline, etc. There's going to be a lot of information we're going to go through this morning. And then I want you to spend time in prayer this week saying, Okay, Lord, what have you called me to do with these gifts? What does this look like for me personally to get involved? Now, a couple little points before we get into this. I can't tell you what your gifts are. Over the years, I've had people come up and almost be frustrated. You know, James, I want to serve. Tell me where to serve. I can't tell you where you're called. I can't tell you what your gifts are. I may have done that in the past, and I start realizing, who am I to determine your heart on what you're called to do? Yes, I think you may be good at this. Yes, it seems like you have a passion for this, but you need to. In time of prayer and fasting, confirm that calling with the Lord. Take the week to do that. Now, one other point I need to mention, and the last time I brought this up, someone said I came across too harsh, so I'm trying to be very gentle with this. Every now and then I have people come up and tell me, I don't have a gift. Okay. Please remember what we're going to go through here this morning. If you are here this morning and you are saved, you are born again in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, the Holy Spirit has promised that he's given you a gift. So therefore, if you come and say, I do not have a gift, what you're really saying is, the Holy Spirit does not live inside of me. I am not saved. See, now, I think that was gentle, correct? The last time I did it, someone came up and said, I don't have a gift. So I said, so you're going to hell then? I, didn't, I, I did not do a good job. My, my truth was right, but I did not speak it in love. So I have now been corrected. And so what I'm saying is this. If you're here this morning and you are born again and saved, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. It has promised you have a gift. Maybe you have not just seen that gift yet. Maybe you have not seen that revealed, but you have one. And we're going to go through like 15 of them here this morning. So the first couple you may say, not me, not me, not me. And you may find when you say, I think this is me. Mark it, underline it, confirm it in prayer. Peter tells us, make your calling and election sure. Sure. The Holy Spirit has something for you. And we're going to talk about what that is. So we have three passages we're going to go through. One in Romans, one in 1 Corinthians, one in Ephesians. And then we're going to take these gifts, talk about each one individually. And some of them are actually going to go into the book of Acts and say, what does this look like to put this in perspective? I hope you see a gift that the Lord has used you for. And I hope you come out of this teaching this morning saying, I see the importance of doing something. Now, we're going to build on this. So if you will, Romans chapter 12, please. Romans chapter 12. Verse 3. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think of soberly as God has dealt. Now, first thing you see when it comes to gifts, it's not about you. You don't get to choose your gift. You don't. You may have things that you like, things that you want to do, maybe things you feel led, but ultimately the Holy Spirit says, I have something for you, and it's not about you. You're supposed to be thinking about other people. Sometimes I see people want to pick a gift over what makes them feel good, over what brings them attention, glory, what have you. What we learn in verse 3 is you're not even supposed to be thinking about yourself. How can I use this to further the body of Christ? Think about Christmas morning. When you open that gift, you don't know what's in there. Someone loved you enough to give it to you. Now, you may have come up with a list, You may have come up with things you want, but you all have that crazy aunt or uncle that doesn't follow your list, and you have no idea. So when you open it up and you look at it, and they say, Well, I was walking through the store and I saw that and I thought of you. You stop and you think, No, you didn't, because that is not me. You don't know me. There's going to be a time where you may get a gift, and the Lord says, I want you to do this. And you're like, Lord, you don't know me. I don't do that. The Holy Spirit knows better than anything. Verse 4, for as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. You are here. You are an individual, verse 5. So we being many are one body of Christ and individually members of one another. This is something that you've got to in your mind figure out. You are an individual with an individual personality, with an individual calling, and an individual gift. But God has asked you to use it in a group setting. That's a struggle for some of us. Because we like the individual, fly solo, what I call island Christian. You will not see that in the Bible. What you see from Genesis to Revelation is this concept of God wants us to work together as a group. Now, every now and then I run into somebody who says, well, I just do better on my own. That's not biblical. I don't really found a church I can click with. You're never going to find a church you agree 100% with. You're not here for yourself. You're here to minister. You're here to say, Lord, I want to be used by you. How can I help represent Jesus Christ in all I say and do? I am an individual, but at the same time, I'm a member. And look at verse 4. All the members do not have the same function. We need to be thankful that there's different gifts. Right now, I hope I'm using the gift of being a pastor, that calling, and the gift of teaching. Now, if we all came here on a Sunday morning and said we all were going to be the gift of teaching... We'd have hundreds of people lined up behind the pulpit to teach. Okay, who's taking care of the kids? Who's going to run the sound? Who's going to make sure the church was clean, the bills were paid, the lights were turned on? Who's going to come early to get ready for worship? Those are all gifts of helps, administrations, hospitality. We need all these different gifts. I think of the example of Vacation Bible School, one of the biggest outreaches we do. If everybody had the one gift of leadership, you'd have all these people running to run it. No, you need people with the gift of helps that work behind the scenes. You need people with the gift of encouragement to pray. You need people with the gift of ministry to show up and clean up. You need all the different gifts working together. And I'm telling you right now as a pastor, I may be the most public gift that's seen standing up here and teaching, but I'm telling you the gift that I love is the gift of helps, is the people that behind the scenes just say, what do you need done? Let's get it done. What a blessing that is. Since people are serving behind the scenes, we're able to stand up here in front of you and say, let's teach you God's word. So we all have a gift. We all have a function, but it's not all the same. So let's talk about these gifts. Verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Interesting Greek here. Verse 6. Gifts and grace are almost the exact same word in the Greek language. They're both based off the same root word. Grace is a gift that is given to you. You cannot earn it. You cannot earn it by works. You cannot earn it by praying more or whatever. Grace is given to you by God. Remember Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works. So it's almost the same Greek word used then for gift. Meaning the gift that the Holy Spirit gives you is something you can't earn. It's something that is given to you that the Lord says, This is the tool I want you to use. So, I'm not good enough to get this one. Of course, you're not good enough to get any. The Holy Spirit blesses you, gives you. And at that moment in time, He says, This is what I need you to do. Maybe I'm in a situation I don't know what to do. Lord, I need the word of wisdom right now. I need that gift. Lord, I'm really struggling with this person and I see they're hurting. Lord, I need the gift of mercy right now. Lord, I'm getting ready to teach. I need the gift of teaching. I want to be called to be a teacher. The Holy Spirit gives me that grace, that gift that I have not earned nor deserved. And that's the beautiful thing about it. So if you're sitting here this morning, it's like, oh, how could God ever use me? How could God use any of us? It's grace. It's a gift. So what are some of the gifts? We'll come back to these. Verse 6, if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So the first few that we have there, we have prophecy, we have ministry, we have teaching, we have exhortation, we have giving, leadership, and mercy. We're going to come back to those. Let's build on this now. Can you go with me to 1 Corinthians 12? There's three passages here about the gifts. Each one builds a little bit more. 1 Corinthians 12, please. 1 Corinthians 12, certain in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. He wants us to know it. I go back to the example with the boys with the tools. Boys, I want you to understand the tools. So therefore, at the right time, at the right job, when you need a tool, you know which one to grab. I want you guys to understand gifts. So when you're out there and you're thinking, I'm really struggling right now. I'm having a hard time see the finish line. I need the gift of faith. Lord, I hear you're asking me to give of my time, energy, and resources. This is a struggle for me. I'm honest, Lord. I'm selfish. I need the gift of giving. You know what tools, what gifts to ask for, to pray for, and say, Lord, would you please bless me with this? He doesn't want us to be ignorant of it. Verse 4, there are diversity of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. Now, this is interesting. Verse 4, we've covered. There's different gifts. We've covered that. But it's the same Holy Spirit taking all these puzzle pieces and putting us together as one. That's the same Holy Spirit. Verse 5, there's difference of ministries, but the same Lord. Different ministries. You're not all called to the same ministry. If everybody was called to the ministry of the children's ministry in the back, we'd have no one to help in other areas. So there's different ministries that you're called to. And just because you're called to one doesn't mean you're not called to the other. Or just because you serve in one means you should serve in everything. It doesn't mean that. You need to stop and pray, Lord, what ministry have you called me to serve in? Because you're called to do something. Now, what I see sometimes as a pastor is I see ministries wanting to be more important than other ministries. And I see sometimes someone who is in a ministry only has eyes for that ministry. And they don't see the big picture that's going on. Every ministry is unique and special in its own way. I'm thankful for the ministry of car care a couple weeks ago where we could do oil changes and service checks. Not everybody was called to that ministry, but those that were, thank you for serving. I thank you for the ministry going on the back right now, children's ministry. Thankful for those people. Thankful for the ministries that we have of, of kids club or prayer chain or garage sale giveaway. There's people that feel called to get involved in those ministries. Not everybody is called to be involved in everything, but we need to remember those ministries that we may not be called to I still want to pray for. I use the example all the time of all the different ladies' Bible studies we have. I don't show up at them. That would be awkward. But I can pray for them while they're going on. You may not feel led to go to the prayer chain, to the fairs, to represent the Lord. But you can pray for those that do. We just did some mosque outreaches here on Friday and Saturday. You may not felt led to go, but I hope you were praying for us that did. Different ministries. But don't let your ministry... Don't become so blinded to it that you don't see the big picture. Quick story on that. I heard about this guy. He was telling the story that he was attending church down in Florida. And this guy got saved and was just excited about the Lord. And he wanted to get involved and he wanted to start serving. So this idea that they had, they did this on Fridays. They would go to this homeless shelter, and they would represent the Lord at this homeless shelter, give meals, etc. just really represent Christ. He went on Sunday afternoon after church and was just completely blessed by it. Absolutely loved it. It was passionate. This is what he wanted to do. He said, Lord, I found my calling. So he went to the guy that invited him that was helping lead it up and said, I love this. This is my calling. I, I want to do this. And the guy said, great, we do it every Sunday. I'll see you next Sunday. So then the guy said, well, wait a second, I forgot, next Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday. I already have plans. The head of the ministry got really upset. Now, this is also a story about legalism. Well, if you love the Lord, you would be here. If you really love Jesus, you would come. If you really think this is important, you would stop everything you're doing and go down and do that. Now the guy ended up serving with the ministry. The guy ended up still serving there fruitfully and faithfully. But the point was this: we can sometimes let that ministry become so big to us. we lose the big picture. I heard a pastor friend tell me one time, "You can't bully somebody into going deeper in the relationship with Christ. They have to want it. And that's really changed the way I look at stuff out here at church. is if you want to come, you show up. If you don't want to come. That's your choice. I hope you do. I hope you feel blessed. But if you don't come and I don't see you for a while, I may try to contact you. Maybe I'll call you, email you, text you. Hey, just want to make sure you're doing okay. But I can't make anybody want to. And we've got to be careful that when we get a ministry that we thoroughly love and enjoy, verse 5, and we think it's great, not everybody may be called to that same ministry. But we're all going to represent the same Lord. Next one, verse 6, differences of activities. Same God. There's activities that we try to offer out here at church. Not everybody may feel led to do it. A couple weeks ago, we went to a movie in Findlay about creation. That was an activity that we hosted as a church. Not everybody went. They don't have to. It's a different activity. We have fellowship meals on Wednesday night. I hope you can come out and be blessed. It's an activity we offer a fellowship. Not everybody may want to be a part of it. But the point is we're still a body of Christ. We may all have different gifts, we may all have different ministries, we may all have different activities, but we're together as one. We've got to be careful that we don't become territorial about things and start elevating our ministry, our activity, as more important than anybody else's. No, we're all serving the same Lord, the same God, through the same Holy Spirit. So what gifts do they give us here in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7? But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. You have something. It is given to you. It is promised to you. You may not know it yet, but you have it. And why do you have it, verse 7? For the profit of all. Not to elevate you, not to make you feel good. It's to serve the Lord at the body of Christ. Verse 8, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11 is very important. But one in the same Spirit... Works all of these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. The same Holy Spirit individually gives you that gift as God feels the need at that time. The Lord wants to use you. And there's going to be times as you go through these gifts, you're going to stop and say once again, Lord, I need wisdom at this time. I'm praying for the word of wisdom. Lord, I I really just see this opportunity right here. Lord, give me the words to teach, to show what you're doing. Holy Spirit, individually right now use this. But also pray for the church. If you see an area, it's like, wow, I wish the church had a better passion for this. Pray for the Lord to raise up those people to have that. Maybe the Lord is calling you to have that. If you have more time, I encourage you to read verses 12 through 31. Great passage there on the body of Christ working together as a team. We're not all eyes. We're not all feet. We're not what all. We need all the different body parts coming together. I encourage you to read that for your time of devotions. Time does not permit us to do that here this morning. Last one, and then we're going to start going through these. Can you go with me to Ephesians, please? There's three different passages. This one's probably the shortest one. Ephesians, please. Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. You have a calling. I don't know what that is, but you have a calling. Spend this time in prayer this week. Seek what that is. What is that? Jump down, if you will, please, to verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. There's our wording again. Christ has given you a gift. He's given you grace. How are you going to use it? What do we have in verse 11? And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Please understand what the purpose of church is. According to Ephesians 4 verse 12, the purpose of church is to equip you, the saints, the believers, to go out and minister to people. Now, does that mean the purpose of church is not to see uh, souls get saved? Well, of course we want to see souls get saved. Of course, on a Sunday morning, we're going to talk about the truth of Jesus, the reality of hell, of sin and punishment, the grace of God. We'll talk about that. That's the beauty of going verse by verse through the Bible. That stuff comes up. But so often we have this mindset. I have this unsaved neighbor. If I could just get him to church. Okay, you got him to church. Now what? Well, he's going to hear songs that he's never heard before. And he's not going to be able to find the book of Hosea. I sure hope James doesn't make us go to Malachi. He's going to hear terms like justification and righteousness and sanctification. He's going to hear about baptism and think you take grown men and put them in a tub of water and bring them out. People are going to come up and hug him, give them cookies and say they love him. Yeah, we are. Because we understand all that. Am I saying don't bring your unsaved people to church? No, bring them to church. But the purpose of church is to equip you during the seven days of the week to represent Jesus where you live and work and what you do. So often I have people come up to me and they look at me as almost a spiritual hired hitman. man. I have my cousin. He really wants to know about Jesus. Will you go talk to him? Well, I can. Why don't you go talk to him? Well, I don't, I don't know the Bible like you do. Okay, then look, what questions do you have that I can help you with so you can go witness to him? Well, you would do a better job explaining it. I don't know if I would. You have a relationship with your cousin. I have never met your cousin. I'm going to come in as this strange, short, bearded guy and come in and say, let me tell you about Jesus. They know you. They've seen what Jesus has done in your life. You go represent Christ to them. It's my job as a pastor when I see you at Sunday or Wednesday to equip you with the tools to do that. And then we're all going to go live it throughout the week. And then let's get back together next Sunday. Have a time of worship, fellowship, encouragement. Give you opportunities that you wouldn't have on your own. You want to go to a mosque with us. You want to go to Mexico. Do you want to go change oil? Do you want to go change diapers? Whatever you want to do, the Lord is leading. And then let's encourage, equip, and let's go do it again. And then, you know what, let's be really crazy and let's meet throughout the week sometimes just to talk about what God is doing in our lives and encourage one another and share verses and this is what the Lord's doing. Let's just do what they did in Acts. But we have now taken church to, once again, one Sunday, one hour, and I did my thing. you got to rethink that, people. The job of church is to equip you, the saints, to go do the work of ministry so therefore you can go build up the body of Christ. And the way the Lord wants to do that is through the teaching of His Word and explaining to you what these different gifts are. So now that we have this introduction, you know that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you if you're saved. You know that the Holy Spirit has empowered you with a gift. You know that you have a calling. You may not know what it is, but you know you do. Let's now go through these and say, Lord, which ones have you called me to do to utilize for your glory? Some of them... Are a little bit more, I'll use the word, semi-permanent. I believe I'm called to be the pastor out here at Harvest. I don't get up every Sunday morning and say, Lord, do you still want me to go do it? I'm pretty sure he's called me. Pretty sure I'm supposed to teach. I don't get up here on a Sunday morning at 10.30 and say, Hey, does anybody else want to teach? I feel led. This is what I'm supposed to do. So there are ones that you say, I feel called to go do this. That's my calling. There are other ones when they pop up, Lord, I need this. I need that word of wisdom. I need that mercy. I need this now. And we're going to go through all these. I encourage you. There's going to be a lot of information. Get a pen and paper. Take notes. If you don't have a pen and paper, get one from your neighbor. they're a believer, just take it. You don't even have to ask for it because you're supposed to give it to them. Then spend the week in prayer. Spend the week in prayer. Now, you don't have to do this because I'm, I'm a sports guy. And you know what? The people that stand on the sidelines that don't play, they still get the ring if the team wins. If you're here this morning and you're born again and saved in Jesus Christ, amen, you won. You get to go to heaven for all of eternity. But you know what? I want to see you get in the game. And when you get in the game, guess what? You're going to get muddy. You're going to get dirty. And people are going to hit you. And sometimes it's going to hurt. And sometimes you're going to want to get out of the game and go sit on the sidelines. Using the gifts is getting in the game. And I just tell you right now is the most crazy, fun, exciting thing in the world. And I just I, I cannot tell you the the excitement of what happens when you actually get to stop and say, "Lord, I want to focus on eternity." Before we get into the gifts here, i I'm just going I think that was a good time to stop. I just want to share uh, some testimonies of what's happened here the last couple week uh, days. As you know, we had Pastor George come um, from Sudan. Um, we, we built a relationship with him over the last year. A group of us went up to Dearborn. Um, went to this Muslim community up in Dearborn. George said it was, was 99% Muslim. And we went door to door and invited the families there to a, a Christian VBS. We invited Muslim children to a Christian VBS. And I can't remember the exact numbers, but I think George said about a, 160 kids came through. 160 Muslim kids came through a Christian VBS. Just think about that for a second. Now, the Muslim culture obviously is very sociable. Very polite, very nice. And so therefore, when you go door to door, you knock on the door and you get a chance to invite them. Hopefully you start up a conversation. George, they may even invite you in, talk to you, etc. So that's what we did. We went up, a group of us went up and just went literally door to door and invited them to this Christian VBS. So then George came out last fall and said, hey, I'm going to give you guys a North African meal. Some of you came out to that and he kind of came and shared a little bit more. And one of his big things he shares is Christians overcoming the fear of talking to Muslims because we're afraid sometimes. So George contacting me again He actually has his son Goes down to Cedarville there So his son came up Came up, saw his son And also then came over here to church And he said, let's go to a mosque outreach And so he said, it wouldn't it be great If we could go to a mosque outreach So I said, sure And my heart, I said, no <laughs> no." So then he came up And he had already planned it We're going to go to these mosques So he came up Wednesday and we shared So we, a group of us went up Friday And what we did was this, is, uh, you know, there's a lot of rules, a lot of social rules of, you know, women talking to men, men talking to women. And he goes through all that with you to make sure. There's a lot of rules of where you don't go on the mosque's property, you stand on the sidewalk, you don't trespass because there's going to be a lot of issues. He says it's not uncommon that they know that if you go on their property with the gospel material and try to share with them, you can get in big trouble. Big trouble, and George has been through that many times before legally. So what happens is there will be cars that are lined up coming out of the mosque, and you're offering them gospel material that sometimes they'll wave you back, and it's a lure to get you to go onto the property and then hand in, and the next thing you know, you're trespassing. So you follow the rules. You just do everything you're supposed to do, and you just offer them a gift. That's what you say. It's a very polite culture. Here's a gift. We'd like to give you this gift. They wrote on their window. They take it. We actually have people give us stuff back. One guy gave me candy? Now think about this for example. You have to remember part of their goal is to proselytize. So here I am trying to tell them about something they're going to come back and represent their faith to me. So I got candy. I still kept it. Anyway, but the point is, you hand these stuff to them and as you're talking and you just you just open a door and sometimes it's a brief little second, "Hey, I, I you know, peace to you, here's this gift. Did you take it?" Some people want it, some people don't. That's fine. You plant seeds. We're so used to American evangelism of I'm going to go tell you about Jesus and you're going to hit your knees right now and accept Jesus Christ. And then I'm going to come back to the church and say that I had 15 conversions, 13 rededications. doesn't work that way with this. You go plant seeds and those people take that home. They may read it. They may watch it. They may throw it to the side. They may look at it a year from now. You don't know. But you just keep planting and planting and planting. Because you have to remember when a Muslim comes to leaving that faith, they're not just leaving their faith. They're leaving family, they're leaving culture, they're leaving everything, sometimes under threats of violence. It's completely different than from maybe somebody saying, I was Catholic and now I'm Lutheran. Or I was Methodist and then I became this. It's completely different. So you plant seeds. So anyway, so we did that and we represented the Lord. Um, It was crazy. You know, it was Friday. The snow was coming down. It's wet. It's cold. You're standing there handing things out. But what a blessing it was so anyways we're getting done we're leaving we're walking back to our vehicle it's a couple blocks away there's a vehicle that kind of uh, was following for lack of a better word george saw it and parked and george said stop we don't know what this vehicle is doing sometimes you have an individual that will not in a group talk about the lord because they would not talk to you in a group they want to talk to you individually so you don't know for sure and so this individual is there is Wade, and george says let me go talk to me asked us to pray so George goes over and talked to him, and you don't know if it's somebody who wants to know more, or if it's somebody that wants to cause problems, if somebody's just following you to see where you're from, what are you doing? So we go over and talk to him, and they said, The Imam, the, the head of the mosque, would like to talk to you guys. So George said, No, we're not we're not gonna do that because you know we're not gonna go in. That's not what we're gonna do. And he goes, No, he really wants to. And he said, Can you call the Imam and see if he really means this? So the guy doesn't call me, he says, just just trust. So we walk back. Stand at the side of the property, and it says, the mom would really like you to come in. And I remember I leaned over to George, and I said, George, is this a setup? Because I don't know what I'm doing here. Um, and George goes, we're going to try this. So we all walked in, and as when you walk into these mosques, it's, it's this completely different world. Completely different world. You know, the one of them, we were up in Toledo, has uh, a male entrance, a female entrance. And, you know, the women put the coverings over their head. The ladies that were with us did that. Very respectful. You know, the women do not shake the men's hands. It's just a completely different feel. So we go in, and you would not believe it. They set up all these tables, all this hospitality. Would you like something to drink? Would you like something, some coffee, whatever? So we sit. So then the Amman comes in, introduces us all, and we had a chance to meet him and talk. And next thing you know, the Amman says, I'd like you to come into my office. So now we're going into the Amman's office. Now, he does not speak English very well that we can tell of. So he's speaking Arabic. George is speaking Arabic. And he starts out with a speech about how we all believe in Moses. We all believe in Noah and, you know, these same faiths, etc., and being a good neighbor and all this other type of stuff and offering us copies of the Quran and everything. And then it turns into, I'm sitting here thinking, here we are sitting in this Amman's office. It feels like you're in a different world. Because everything is Arabic, and next thing you know, you're talking about Quran, and then do you have any questions, and next thing you know, you're talking about verses in the Quran that talk about Jesus, and was Jesus sinless, and you just have this amazing conversation. I kept thinking, this is is Acts, where they would go to the synagogues, and just start up conversations, and see where it would go. Sometimes it went really well. Sometimes they got arrested. Sometimes they got stoned. But you go and you represent the Lord. And so then they we get in to finish up the conversation, they gave us water, they gave us all this stuff, and we leave and we go back, and it's just like, Wow, Lord, just planted seeds. Here we are in this guy's office. It's just kind of amazing. So then the next day, Saturday, Georgia said, What's going on a, a tour of another mosque? We're gonna go to that tour of that big mosque off seventy-five. You know that one right there. So we showed up, and if you've never been there, it's really hard to get to, just for a matter of fact. So you get there, no one's there. So we're all waiting to go in. No one's there. George is trying to get a hold of the can't. So he says he finds this other one. It's down off Bancroft in downtown Toledo. He goes, I, I got a, one there that said that we can come visit. So it's like, okay, we wanted to see this big, beautiful one. You know what I mean? That's the, that's the one everybody talks about. If you ever say, did you, we visited a mosque. Oh, did you visit the one on 75? No. It's like, oh, then I'm really disappointed. You know, it's like, oh, come on. So we went to this other one down in Toledo. So we show up, and they let us come in for one of the prayer services. So there's about 10 guys there, 10 Muslims. And so as we're sitting there watching them, they set up chairs for us. Once again, very hospitable. We sit down and we watch them go through their prayer service. And as I'm watching them, I'm just thinking, oh, my goodness, religious works. And I mean, it's just this, this repetition, this everything. So they get done with their, with their prayer service. And then they all sit down. So we're sitting in our chairs. They're sitting on the floor. And it's like, does anybody have any questions? And I thought, this is, this is now even more so like Paul. So we sat and we talked to him about an hour, hour and a half. And we talked about salvation. We talked about assurance of salvation. How are you saved? What does it mean for a Christian to be saved? George started talking about, is the Quran reliable? And it's just this big discussion back and forth, maybe tense of once or twice, not real bad. And then it's like, you know, we have all these differences, they said, but let's focus on similarities. And George is like, well, you got to focus on the differences. And so now we're talking about what does it mean to be saved for you? Do you have assurance? How are you saved? And while you Christians believe that you need a Savior in Jesus divine? We don't, that we believe that we can kind of save ourselves. So you guys are a works-based religion. And how can you ever have enough works to get in? And it's just this, this conversation. So then they come to us and they say, we have refreshments for you down below. They went out, bought us cookies, ice cream, chips, two liters of pop. So we go downstairs, and I remember, you know, the women have their heads covered, shoes off. We go downstairs, um, and next thing you know, we're all sitting there, and they have these plates of cookies and chips out, and they're bringing over bowls of ice creams to all the kids. And then we sat down there, and we talked for about another hour, hour and a half. But this time, you actually got to converse. And so it was like we'd go over and talk, and I talked specifically to three, three Muslim men. And I said, you know, can we talk a little bit more about the salvation? And they want to. you got to remember. They want to. See, so often when I get a chance to talk to people here in Henry County or whatever it is, they already know about the Lord. They already know about Jesus. They don't want to go to church. And so most of the evangelism I do is like, you should really get back into church. You should read your Bible more. You should really understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. They don't want it. But when you're talking to, to these people, it, it's like this is a completely different conversation. Of They don't fully understand who Jesus is. They have their ideas. So you get a chance to talk. So as we're talking there, and the three guys that I were talking to were talking about the reality of heaven and the reality of hell. You have to remember when you're talking to Muslims, they believe in creation. They believe in, in life. They believe in the reality of judgment and heaven and hell. So I'm talking to them, and I said, so how do you get to heaven? And the guy said this, and he said it up in the, in the thing. He goes, when you lay in bed at night, you hope that you've done enough that you can get in. And so I said to you, so we talked about assurance. And I said, well, you know, in the Bible, I have assurance of salvation through what Jesus Christ did. Because I said, from what I'm understanding, you telling me is you're a sinner trying to save yourself. Or I'm a sinner that realizes I can't, and I only can be saved through Christ, the divine interaction." And I said, are you telling me that you basically are um, works-based? And they said, well, it's works in faith. But then we talked about how your works are obligatory. That's the word they kept using. It's obligatory that we pray five times a day. It's obligatory that we do this. I said, that sounds like a have to. And I said, and what I'm envisioning is this pit, and I'm at the bottom of the pit, and as a Christian, I can't get out of the pit. And so God throws me a lifeline of Jesus Christ and pulls me out. What I hear you guys saying is you're at the bottom of the pit and you're clawing and scraping your way out. He said, yeah, trying to do enough. So I asked him, I I said, I have assurance of salvation. I said, do you have assurance that right now that you would be able to go to heaven? And they all said no. And you realize here are these religious people that are dressing a certain way, living a certain way, and you know all the requirements, praying a certain way, and they don't even know for sure if they're in. And that's why it's so important to go to them and say, let us really tell you. Because you believe in the prophet Jesus. Well, let me tell you who he really is. And that's part of the outreach that we were trying to do. And so what we're going to do is we're going back up to Dearborn. I think Dawn and I are going to probably go up in July. And we're hoping to make arrangements to probably try to stay up there for the week and help them prepare for the VBS, go door-to-door again. If this is something that interests you, prayerfully consider it. Prayerfully consider it. It is something that is definitely out of my comfort zone. But I'm going to tell you this, a couple of things. First off, number one, I believe as the pastor, it's important for me to set an example of saying, okay, if we're going to preach from the pulpit to get out there and to share with the lost, then I want to make sure I'm living it. And number two, I have realized for me, it is so easy to become comfortable in my walk with the Lord. I want to let through the Lord, not through me, but through the Lord, say, Lord, I am willing to go do things I normally would not do. Because I want to be able to say, Lord, I'm walking in faith. And it's a lot of faith to go walk in that and to do that. So I just encourage you if that's something that interests you and you got questions, you can come talk to me. There's a group of other one of us that went up too. I can give you their names too if you want to go talk, especially ladies. If you want to go talk to some of the other ladies, what it's like. But it is, it is just fascinating and it is the book of Acts and action of going to the synagogue, starting a conversation and seeing where the Lord goes with it. But I just wanted to share that testimony here kind of in the middle of the lesson. Um, So without much segue back into the gifts of the Spirit here, and I'm looking at the time, and we're running short on time, so I'm going to have to go through these fairly quickly, and hopefully we can kind of get through with them. But I wanted to share this with with real quick. Take the time this week, mark these down, pray over them. Like I said, we're going to have to move through quickly, so please bear with me. Starting with the gifts that we've talked about in the book of Romans, the first gift that you see is the gift of prophecy. Gift of prophecy. I heard one translator say it like this. Prophecy is just a spokesperson for God. It could be foretelling. It could be forthtelling. What I mean by this is foretelling. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 11, there's this prophet by the name of Agabus that prophesied that a drought was coming. That's foretelling. Most of the time when you think of prophecy, you think of foretelling future events. That is a biblical concept. But it's also forthtelling. I speak forth for the Lord. I speak forth the encouragement of the Lord. If you're a note taker, write it down, Acts 15, 32, Acts fifteen thirty two. Now Judas and Silas themselves, being prophets, also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words, that I'm going to speak forth for God in your life. I'm going to say, you know what, remember, this is what the word says. This is what the Bible says. So therefore, when you're going through a tough time, I want to speak forth for God to you. Remember these passages, remember these scriptures, remember God's goodness. That's the gift of prophecy. Very important gift. 1 Corinthians 12 goes into how it's one of the most important gifts to really fully represent God. Next one, gift of ministry. Some of your translations may say gift of service, etc. A very broad gift. I ask you to keep your hand in Acts chapter 6 as we kind of move here quickly. Please see the gift of ministry in action. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrew by the Hellenists, those are Greek-speaking Jews, because their widows were neglecting in the daily distribution. So you had these widows that were not getting the food they needed. Verse 2, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who we appoint over this business. That's the gift of ministry, service. The widows need food. Would you please deliver food to them? Now, the problem with the gift of ministry and service, it's not that exotic. How did you serve the Lord today? I cleaned the windows of church. Thank you. How did you serve the Lord today? Well, um, there was this gal that needed a ride to the eye doctor, and her vehicle wasn't working, so I picked her up and took her. That's the gift of service and ministry. Thank you. You know, if I get a call from a widow or somebody that says, my hot water heater's not working, I'm thankful for men. With the gift of service and ministry, I can call up and say, can you go over there and take a look at that? This is a gift that is so vital. It's just somebody that says, I'm willing to serve and work in a practical way, and I'm going to represent Jesus in my words and actions and how I do it. And if the Lord opens a door, I'll represent him. Gift of ministry service. Love that gift. Next gift in Romans, gift of teaching. Hopefully that's what we're doing right now, presenting God's word in a practical, understandable way that you could take this, apply it to your life, and then go out and live it. Gift of encouragement, Romans 12. This idea of encouraging the brethren. What does it mean to have the gift of encouragement? I love the gift of encouragement. For me, the gift of encouragement is that person that comes up and says, I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. You know, keep fighting the good fight. Gift of encouragement is that person had surgery and you send them a card. You take over a meal. You see how the gifts start intercombining. They have surgery, so I send them a card and take them a meal. What did I just do? Encouragement and service together. You start seeing these gifts come together. You may not know them. I still want to encourage them. I'm going to pray for them. Gift of encouragement through prayer. I don't go to the ladies' study on Monday or Friday, but I'm going to pray for them. Gift of encouragement. Acts 14, Acts 14, 22 says this. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. Jump with me to Acts 14 real quick. This is one that's important to go look at. This gift of encouragement to exhort them, to help them through times of life. Here, look at Acts 14, verse 22. I just read that there. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Okay, that's a great verse of itself. I want to encourage you. Yeah, get the full context, though. Jump back to verse 19 of Acts 14. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derba. Okay, so Paul's witnessing. They don't like what he's saying. They take him outside. They stone him, looks like to death. Some people believe he actually died and rose again here, because if you studied out in Corinthians, he kind of talks about going to the third heaven. So then he leaves. I'd leave too. But look at verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned. To Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Go back to verse 19. That's where he just got stoned. And then he tells them in verse 22, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. That's the gift of encouragement and action. I just got stoned to death here. I'm going to leave. Oh, I'm coming back. I'm going to tell you to take a stand. Listen, some of you may have gone through rough relationships, rough health issues, rough mental, emotional, spiritual issues, and you kind of hide it. It's embarrassing. You don't want to talk about it. I don't want people to know. I'm telling you, part of your encouragement may be to go to somebody and say, listen, I have been there. I have been there. Don't you think Paul's word in verse 22 is powerful? Where it's like, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Oh, yeah, Paul, what have you done? I just got stoned here a couple days ago. You don't remember that? I'm living it. I'm living it. Gift of encouragement. Next one, gift of giving. You don't own it. It's not yours. It's not your house. It's not your car. It's not your time. It's not your money. It's none of yours. You just have this mindset of, Lord, I, I, it's yours. Why am I holding on to something? It is all yours. And it's just this, this generosity. And I've seen people the gift of giving. And it's like they, they really say, take it. They mean it. Take it. I don't. It's yours. It's the Lord's. How can this be used for him? Of time, energy, resources, etc. Next one, gift of leadership. You can run a ministry. You can see the finish line. You can get people there. Gift of leadership is a very important gift. Go back to our passage here in Acts chapter 6. We've seen the gift of service, delivering the food. You see the gift of leadership. The 12 saying, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men. Leadership. These apostles stepped up and said, we got to take care of this. So therefore, leadership. You also see the gift of administration. Gift of administration is being able to organize. There was a gift of administration going on in Acts chapter 6. So right there's three different gifts. Service, leadership, administration. There are people that are called to keep things organized. If you call me up, listen, I'm telling you right now, I do not have the gift of administration. I don't have it. Rich doesn't have it. We don't have it. If you call me up and you say, hey, next Saturday, can I use the church? I have no idea. I don't have a clue. Pat's got a calendar. It has every single event on it. I will either tell you to contact her or I'll contact her. She'll come back. Tell me if it's okay. Then I'll call you back and make it sound like I know what's going on. Yeah, next Saturday's clear. I checked. I have no idea. And so what happens is sometimes people come up to me and they'll hear like, hey, I heard the announcement about the sign-up sheet to go to this and do this ministry. What are the details? I have no idea. I don't have the gift of administration. If I need to memorize it, I have to take a picture of it. Or I'll say, well, let me call that person who's in charge. Or here, this person's in charge. I am so thankful for people that have the gift of administration. They keep things running. Keep checkbooks bounced. Keep the books going. Thankful for that. You know, CDs are sent out. They're mailed out. Someone with the gift of administration gets stamps around. The address, puts them in an the envelope, mails them. These are the gifts you don't realize. But they're so vital. Next one, gift of mercy. Somebody's hurting and you care. So you see that person that's over there in the corner and you don't know them, but you can tell something's just not right. Gift of mercy I want to go over. You hear about that person that had surgery and you've never met them, but you're like, you know what, I, I need to write them a card. I, I need to go visit them. You know, you, just that mercy, your heart hurts for them. Hurts for them. There was a lady out here at church that uh, had a baby uh, out of wedlock when she was a very young teen. And she said she's always had a heart for women going through that same issue, that mercy. I've been there. I've seen it. I've gone through that. I want to let them know they're loved in the Lord, that gift of mercy. Please note in Romans 12, when it talks about the gift of mercy, it says mercy with cheerfulness. I've seen people do mercy. They've been nice, polite, and they're a total grouch about it. And their heart, that's not what the Lord wants. He wants you to do it with cheerfulness. So fine, you're doing it, but you're pain in the butt about it. That's not mercy with cheerfulness. We're supposed to represent the Lord. It's like, hey, thanks for doing it. Well, fine, I thought I should. I had to. I hate cheerfulness. Mercy with cheerfulness. Next one, apostle. Apostle means literally one who has been sent. It looks like we had this special 12 apostles here in the Gospels that did a special thing, special calling, special writing of God's word, etc. But here when we talk about the word apostle means one who has been sent. You may be sent to go do something. You have a calling to go do it. So therefore you have been sent to do that. And it may mean changing geographical locations, making sure that ministry gets going, one who has been sent. Next one, the gift of evangelist. Please note that all of us are called to evangelism. So please don't, I'm not an evangelist. I don't want to share the faith. You're all called to share the faith. Evangelist, though, is that special calling. And at the people that I've seen that are evangelists, they present that gospel so clearly, so straightforwardly. I want to take notes over it because it's just so perfect, that heart for the lost. Pastor, teacher, hopefully that's what we're doing here right now. A pastor, I think sometimes the gift of being a pastor is you just see all what's going on with the flock. They haven't been here for a while. We should follow up with them. They have a surgery going on to make sure they're taken care of. You see all the separate different ministries. And you make sure that every ministry knows it's important, but at the same time, no ministry trumps something. You kind of keep the ship afloat. We've talked about teaching. Word of wisdom, you don't know what to do. It's a supernatural, from the Lord, wisdom that you know is not of you. I've been in meetings out here before, and someone comes up with this idea, and I look at them and I think, you're not smart enough to come up with that. I know you. I've known you your entire life. There's no way that came from your brain. Word of wisdom. Now, before you think I'm picking on people, I've seen it with me. It's like, so that's a great idea, James. And part of you wants to say, yes, thank you. The other part of you stops and says, yeah, it was. That's not me. I don't know where that came from. Word of wisdom. Word of knowledge is where God kind of gives you that uh, um, insight into something you really don't know. I think of Acts chapter 9 where there's the sorcerer is following them around and it looks like he's good and the apostles look at him and say, you're evil. We have this knowledge here from the Lord that this is not of God. This is not what the Lord wants us to do. And it's that supernatural. It's like, I shouldn't have known that. But the Lord does. I know I'm going through these quickly, but I'm going to finish them up. Gift of faith, supernatural, trust in the Lord when you shouldn't have it. I think of Paul and Silas in the book of Acts at prison, midnight, singing hymns. Faith, I got something coming up I'm getting a little nervous about, and I realize at the moment, God will give me peace. Right now, I feel like I don't have peace, but the gift of faith will kick in. Have you ever heard a testimony from somebody, and you're like, I could never do that? You're right, you couldn't at this moment. But when it happens, God gives you faith to say you can go through that. Gift of healing, please note in the Bible there are no healers. Imagine if there was healers, we'd all just line up outside their door healing. God can use any one of us at any time to do healing. Please note that it's always unique of the Lord. When you look at Jesus, when he healed the blind men in the Bible, every time he healed them, he healed them differently. Why? To show you that there is no set pattern. Can you imagine if Jesus healed the same way every time? Sometimes he's spitting in mud and putting on it. Sometimes he touches them. Sometimes he just says a word it's a unique at that moment the Lord leads. Gift of miracles. I just describe this as no explanation but God. Because if you can explain it, it's not a miracle. Oh, I had a miracle the other day. What happened? Oh, I got an A on that test. Well, amen. I don't know if that compares to six days of creation, something out of nothing. But a miracle is no explanation but God. He gets all the glory because there's no way it could be anything else. Gift of discernment that you can look at the situation through the spirit through the word and discern this is not good this is not of god this is not line up with the nature of jesus this is not line up with the truth of the gospel this is not line up with god's word so i discern that this is something that we need to stay away from that's an important gift how do you have that gift you obviously pray saying lord reveal the things i don't see but lord through your word bring the scriptures to memory that show me there's an issue and lastly, tongues and interpretation of tongues. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's that idea of speaking to the Lord in an unknown language, maybe through prayer. I think of Romans 8 where it says that we do not know what to pray or how to pray. The Spirit himself intercedes for us. Also times of praise, et cetera. I encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 12 about that more. Hey, we're running out of time here. So worship team, if you want to come forward, I want to share with you as they're coming up here a few gifts that you think you have, but they're not in the Bible. First off, there's not the gift of reading minds. What does the gift of reading mind look like when somebody comes up to me and says, I know what they're thinking. I know why they did that. No, you don't. Oh, yes, I do. You may be able to know their nature. You may be able to know their personality. You may have a good reason on why you think they did, but you can't read their mind, and you don't know what they're doing. Next one I call the gift of opinions. People feel like they have an opinion that is of the Lord they need to share. Your opinion is not needed nor wanted. It's not a gift. Please do realize when it comes to opinions, here's the phrase I've been using for the last year or so. If you have a prayed over opinion, I would love to hear it. If you have sought the Lord and sought his word on it, and you've come and said, James, I've prayed over, I want to share this idea with you, this opinion, I would love to hear it. But if it's just off the top of your head, you know what I think the church should do? No, I don't know what you think the church should do. But when you pray over and line it up with God's word, I'd love to hear what you think the church should do. I'll take a prayed-over opinion. And lastly, the gift I see a lot is the gift of criticism, where people feel like it is their responsibility to analyze everything that goes on in Christianity and the church and give their opinions on what feels needs to be done. If you have a prayed-over opinion, if you have encouragement or something that you think would be helpful, we'd love to hear it. But if you just want to walk away and analyze the service of, well, they could have done this. I can't believe we got out at 1131. Oh, what about the way they did that song? What about this? It was too hot, too cold. Sometimes we just got to let things go, everybody. If we're here to see souls get saved, and if that's really all that matters, that people are dying, going to hell, there's a lot of things we just learn to let go of and realize in the whole scheme of things, it may not be the perfect thing. It may not be the way that I wanted that passage taught. It may not be the way I hear that song on the radio. It may not be this or that, but I stop and I say, Lord, I just want to serve you and thank you for this group of believers to do that. Hey, thank you for letting me get you guys out a little bit late. we normally don't do this, but I want to make sure we covered everything. I'll give it over here to worship team for the final song. I'll let you go with the word of prayer.